I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey folks, Jeremy here. Um, We are super excited to release this week's episode Uh, Tess was just a fantastic guest, and we're really excited for you to hear it. Um, But I'm I'm hopping on here before the episode to give everyone a little heads up about uh, what the holiday season is going to look like for us here at Sick Boy Podcast. Uh, I think, honestly, for the first time out of the six years of doing this show, we're going to take the holiday season off. Um, so what does that mean for you? Well, we are going to, uh, we're still going to release a Monday episode next week, which will be December 27th, but it's going to be a re-release, which we've done in the past in the holidays. Um, we're going to re-release an episode from, uh, from back in the day, one that uh, is near and dear to our hearts. So you can expect that next week. But as for the routine checkup episodes on Wednesdays, and the feel good, feel good Friday episodes on Fridays, we're actually gonna we're gonna take the time off. We're not gonna release anything, um, so that you have more time to just hang out with family and friends and make the most of it. So you don't have to hear our dumb voices uh, twice a week for the next couple of weeks. So that means that uh, Wednesday this week, December twenty second, we're not gonna have any episode. Uh, Friday, December 24th, we're also not going to have anything released. And then after the Christmas holiday, uh, Wednesday, December 29th, we'll have nothing. Friday, December 31st, we'll have nothing. And then we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming in the new year, 2022. New year, new us. Um, January 3rd, we'll be coming at you with a Monday episode and just going back to the regular old thing. So with that, I hope you enjoy this really, really charming and wonderful episode with Tess. Um, We had such a good time having this conversation with them and a really, really wonderful guest. Uh, And I hope that all of you have a really wonderful holiday season. Make the most of it. Be merry. Be kind. Hug your family. Pet your dog. Wear your mask. And, um, and we'll see you in the new year. Much love. Enjoy. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Tess. She had breast cancer and is a sexual occupational therapist. Let's talk about it. Well, 
Very exciting because we are joined by an Aussie, another Aussie. <laughs> two in uh, two in two weeks. We're pretty much like we're, I think, on track to get honorary citizenships. I, I would hope know. so. That's the bar. I'm pretty sure this is how you do it. That's the bar for Australian citizenship. Technically. Interview uh, two on your podcast. Yeah. But uh, this week we're joined by our new friend, Tess, Tess DeVez. Um, and Tess, uh, you are, why don't you give yourself a little introduction um, and let our listeners know a little bit about who you are, but also the, the work that you do. Okay. Thank you. Hi. I'm Tess. I am the second Aussie. I'm mortified that I'm not the first, but I'll let that slide. (laughs) Um, I am, oh God, where do I start? So I'm a sexuality occupational therapist and I know you you know what an OT is now because you just have that person come on. Hey, there we go. Yeah. So I'm an OT, but I, my scope of practice solely focuses in sexuality. I'm also a certified somatic sexologist. I am a consent, communication, sexuality, and BDSM educator in Australia. And I also have stage three breast cancer. And my work, it's it's kind of evolved and shifted throughout my bizarre little life. But from my cancer diagnosis, which was three years ago, I was 36 at the time, and I was possibly terminal when I was diagnosed, uh, I my <laughs> with every single treatment that I've had, I've had seven surgeries, six months of chemo, daily radio for five weeks, wow. and I'm three years into five weeks of endocrine treatments. My my sexuality suffered with every single treatment, but in different ways. And mm. there was no one to help me. There was no one talked about it. No one wanted to address it. I had to be my own sex therapist. And then I just realized with the gap in the system and if I struggled so much and I'm the one with all the training, I couldn't imagine how much everyone else would be struggling going through cancer. So yeah. now that's my job. So <laughs> many questions. So the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the first thing that I want to touch on is you're right. We just did an episode recently, a routine checkup episode with, a, with an occupational therapist. And that was such an eye opener for us. But I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think once in that conversation, nope. the link between sexuality and occupational therapy was a part of that conversation. So, so before we get into your, your story with cancer and your battle with cancer, um, can, you, can you lay out for us what an occupational therapist does through the lens of sex and sexuality? I would love to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like to, to recap, if anyone missed the episode, so occupational therapists, we call occupations the things that you do day to day. And so uh, an occupation is it could be self-care stuff like showering and dressing and brushing your teeth and cooking and eating. It could be like community stuff like getting to work. You know, it's just the functional things that we do day to day. Mm-hmm. When you hear occupation, people think of work, but that's what we actually call vocation work. So it's mm. all just all over the shop. But um, <laughs> so sex is a part of people's living. So sex is a functional activity. So it is actually in our training and it is something that we should be addressing with our clients. Even if it's just saying, hey, by the way, I'm an OT and I work in day-to-day functional things. If you would like to talk about sex, I can do that for you and we can find cool. somewhere private to go. That's that's us doing our job. But no one really brings it up. So I became 
uh, the that really annoying OT when I worked in hospitals and neurological rehabilitation, like, come on, what about sex? Let's talk about sex. Come on. Yeah, right, right. Like, Jesus, Tess, go away. Um, <laughs> it's it's so, so funny then- <laughs> because as soon as you say that sexuality or sex falls under like our day-to-day occupations, it makes so much sense. Like mm-hmm. it makes so yeah. much sense that that yeah. would obviously be a part of that. But it was, it, I'm, I'm now like shocked that we didn't talk about yeah. that. Yeah, and something episode. that, and something that if, if you are used to having sex and you are, and whatever you're dealing with is hindering you from doing that can be, you know, more detrimental than a lot of yeah. stuff that you are, that your, your ailment or illness mm. or injury or whatever is 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 preventing you from doing or doing fully like, mm. se- like sex is so of course. In, in so your, important. your mental health yeah. your relationships mm-hmm. like exactly yeah. yeah it's not just yeah yeah so there's sex and then there's sexuality so sex is that mm. functional activity where two people get together and they have the pleasure and maybe the orgasms uh but sexuality it's like that umbrella term of exactly what you said it's the relationships it's intimacy it's connection with yourself it's self-confidence it's dating it's it's identity it, it contributes yeah. to mental health like mm-hmm. it's so important and um a lot of people are just really scared to talk about it because we live in a society where you know we don't talk about this so it goes yeah. under addressed uh, which is where i come in i would say i would say that um i would say that it's more taboo than than illness and people addressing yeah. illness openly. For sure, absolutely. Yeah. You, I'm sure you probably find that. In For sure. I mean, doing two podcasts, one about illness and one about sex, the, turn, me yeah. on, turn me on faces way more flack in terms of like the taboo nature yeah. and, and everything that comes with that. T- so. Tess, what's a somatic, uh, uh, yes. what is somatic? So how do, what do you say? Somatic you sex, uh, sexologist, somatic sex therapy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I studied, I went to the, I studied um, sexological bodywork at the Institute of Somatic Sexology after I graduated being an OT, um, just because I was like, I I want more training, you know, we, but sex was a part of my OT degree, but it was a very small part. And because I'd already been working in the BDSM sector for so many years beforehand, I was very aware that now there is way more to touch and pleasure than just this one thing that I talked about. <laughs> um, so uh, somatic sexology is, imagine somatic just meaning a connection with your body. So it's a deeper understanding of how your body works. <laughs> so that that's physiologically, neurologically, you know, psychologically, how pleasure works, how arousal work, you know, and then how we can connect ourselves to others if you want to have sex with others, not just yourself. And it's it's a very, uh, it sounds really woo, but it's actually extremely technical, which is why I loved it because mm-hmm. I'm a neuroscience nerd and I love I love clinical environments. And so I, I just like latched onto this. I'm like, oh my God, pleasure anatomy, how arousal functions and works in the body, what libido is and how that works, how to communicate with your partner on a level to get what you want and not do what you don't want to do. Like it's all these things, using breath to hack your nervous system. You can mm. have orgasms or you can heighten your nervous system through breath because you can just change your heart rate. Like it's, you know, it sounds so simple, but it's also so complicated. So like my, my work is, a, it's a real mixed bag of like OT, somatic sexology, and also the con- consent and communication stuff that I, that is a part of being 
uh, a kinky person, you know, mm. if you're doing something outside of the norm, you have to be an exceptional communicator to make sure it goes well and it's safe. So all of these things really tie into me helping people understand that when they're struggling through cancer treatments or chronic illness, I also do work in sex and disability in my private OT practice. It's just like, hey, you're normal. Um, it doesn't matter if your body doesn't work this way because you can still have pleasure. Let's just figure out how. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess awesome. that's the fortune cookie statement of my job maybe. <laughs> I feel like connecting uh, Tess with <clears throat> Andrew Gerza would be Totally. It would be yeah. a really great conversation. Andrew. I know Andrew. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually, he's um, bringing out a new disability accessible friend, uh, sex toy, and I was sex a consultant toy. to That's help right. design it. No yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 It, was, uh, it all he, ties in. He was telling us about world. that toy the last time we spoke with him. Yeah. yeah. I saw something yesterday that's coming out soon. Yeah. Uh, it's called a bump, uh, Bumpin' or? Bumpin'. bumpin'. Yeah. yeah. Can I, can I, I just not, that. not I love to... It promote it because I worked helped work on it but uh, so many of my clients who are wheelchair bound or they have like upper limb spasticity you know and we go to websites where we have disability friendly sex toys and then we look at them and none of them are Mm. they have like tiny little buttons on them you have to connect these charges you have to clean it you have to pull it apart and so what bumpin has done is you know, a hands-free sex toy. It's absolutely incredible. I'm so happy because it's so isolating when people, oh, yay, there's something made for me. Like, oh, no, I'm too disabled for that. Yeah. It's heartbreaking for my clients. Right. So I I'm just so excited. love that the two of you know yes. each other. And yeah, there too. was like a little bit of a link there. That's so great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tess, let's let's talk a bit about your experience with cancer. Um, you, so you had mentioned that you were 36 when you got your diagnosis, correct? Yes. How did that, how did that all come to be? Like, what was the, what was the, the catalyst to, uh, to receiving the diagnosis? So, (laughs) uh, I'm just uh, like, because I'm on this podcast with you guys, I'm just going to be so honest. Like I was feeling myself up in my partner's bed going, I really like boobs. My boobs are really nice. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, Whoa, that's a lump. That's not supposed to be there. But so I immediately, you know, the next morning I rang my GP, my general practitioner doctor, mm-hmm. and I said, hey, I just I just need to get a, a scan, a referral, I found a lump. Um, but I've had lumps before and they were just cysts, you know, so I wasn't freaking out at all. I was like, ah, okay. it's just nothing. But, of course, I have to get it checked out because I was working in a hospital at the time and I just know, you know, get everything, be very proactive. And so when I was having the ultrasound, the person, the sonographer did not look at me once and they literally ran out of the room and I had to stop her. I'm like, hang on, what what happens now? Like, what do I do now? And she just turned around and said, oh, make an appointment with your doctor and they'll go over the results. And she left. And so then my mind went on hyperdrive. I'm like, oh my God, she just ran out of the room. She's she, I've got cancer, you know, she, she couldn't look at me. And then I was doing that. No test. She was pregnant. She was probably trying not to vomit and she just needed to brush up. You know, I was doing that right, thing. Right. Yeah. And then I had four missed calls the next day from the, my doctor's office, making sure I was coming in for my appointment. And that's the second uh. that I knew. It's like, I've never had that before. I was like, cool. Okay. I've got cancer. And then I went in and the words were, you have multiple cancers in both breasts, you'll likely lose them and possibly your life quite soon. Oh, my God. Whoa. 
A, what a horrible thing to hear in general. But B, what an awful thing to hear, like, just days after you were feeling yourself up going, I love my tits. You know, like, yeah. to, to hear, yeah. like, you, yeah. you love your tits, but we're probably going to have to lop those great tits off. So, sorry, and, sorry and about what- that. It might not sound like much, but it had it took me years of work to have to get to a space where I liked my body, you know, because yeah, yeah. crippling self uh, consciousness is what what we breed in in like in our culture. And I f- I'd finally gotten to this point, and I literally Ooh. thought to myself, like, oh my god, I've done so much work uh, to like like myself. Mm. And now it's all just going to go to shit. And then I was like, oh, what about my work? What about my sex? Oh, my God. And then, of course, everything exploded and I broke down crying. (laughs) Now, at the time, were you doing the somatic sex work on uh, on the side of the the OT work? or No, I was doing the BDSM. Yeah, Yeah. so I was working in BDSM and I was also working as an OT in neurological rehab. Gotcha. While still addressing sexuality as my job as an OT, yeah. but that was just a part of my job, and so the the somatic sexology came after. So I'd I'd have several surgeries, I'd finish chemo and radiotherapy, and uh, and I enrolled in the course, and I was just like, just because of how much I was struggling, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna bump up my skill set, and I'm gonna see if like if mm. I can just be the person to help others get through this because it's brutal. We we might be getting a bit ahead of ourselves, but I I, I have to ask now, it, to that point of you, you know, working so long to find yourself at a place where you actually love your body and and have like a, 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 a sense of self-confidence that you hadn't had for years. And mm. then going through that diagnosis and and all of a sudden you know, having those feelings spring up again and, and having to question like, what's my body going to be like? What's going to, what's going to happen after all these surgeries and stuff. When you, when you went through the training, um, to be a somatic sexologist, did the work through that training help you regain that, that confidence and like find ways for you to continue to love your body the ways that you did before cancer? Jeez, you really know how to go deep, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Far out. Um, I knew I should have bought a box of tissues with me for this, to be honest. Um, I, I hate my body and I think people with disease and chronic illness and pain will get that. Mm -hmm. Um, my body has completely betrayed me uh, and it's it's so bittersweet because, you know, I, I left an, a very highly abusive relationship um, that was included various styles of abuse and then I'd worked so hard to recover from that and like who I was. And then cancer treatments are so full on <laughs> that um, my coping mechanism is to disconnect, mm. like, my body's causing me pain. I'm just going to shut off from the pain, you know. If or if I'm being manhandled, sorry, person handled by like a whole bunch of strangers and students and doctors and they're grabbing my flesh and drawing all over me and I'm just standing there like a mannequin, I'm going to disconnect from myself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and my body just doesn't work <laughs> the way I want it to. I'm so limited by my fatigue and my pain on these treatments that I still really struggle with liking (laughs) 
me and my body, I have, you know, the mental health stuff that comes from three years of uh, this sweet, sweet hell. Mm. Um, With studying somatic sexology, it it was strangely comforting in a way of um, I'm very pragmatic. So having a deeper understanding of how sexuality, arousal, libido, orgasms, how that works in the human body and then understanding on a clinical medical level of how treatments affect my body Mm. actually gave me this sense of permission. It was like, no, it's okay, Tess, because treatments are completely altering your physiology and, and like it's okay that you don't work this way. It's okay that you're not normal because that's normal. Um, and I think that was the light bulb moment for me. And it's one of those things that I really help the thousands of people I support online um, with cancer is like, hey, you're normal for struggling with this. Like, mm. look at what your what has been done to your body. Of course, you're not going to have desire while you have chronic pain. Like, of course, like that's a normal thing. Like, so it's a more of a it's allowed for a little more compassion of like, oh, I don't want sex all the time. I'm broken. It's, oh, I don't want sex all the time because of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it seems like um, it seems like obviously your diagnosis and your experience with cancer has, you know, led you down a path to want to like educate yourself and and be a, and to be able to provide something for, for other people. And it also, I'm, I'm wondering if you, like in a, in a, in a perfect world, that exists for nobody, um, you know, you wouldn't have all the things that kind of come up for you in terms of how you relate to your body and then how you relate to your body with cancer and in relationship to, you know, an abusive relationship. But do you also find that, do you find that that allows you when you are working with people to connect to them in a way that, would be would I would imagine would be really challenging for somebody who hasn't struggled themselves with those things that you can that you can bring that to the table in a relationship with the people that you work with like that understanding of I have sat in the seat where you are now I think that actually is I mean I I was a good sex OT slash sex clinician, but the personal experience and the, and the insights has been, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a draw card. I mean, it's also, you know, the, the book that I've written, it's, it's about, it's filtered with, Hey, this happened to me and this is how I worked through it kind of stuff. You know, it's much more relatable, but sitting down with someone who you can tell when someone has no concept of what chronic pain is like and you're like, ah, oh, do I really want to listen to you? You know, mm. I don't think you get this. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's just been such a learning experience for me. I, I just didn't understand what fatigue was. I thought it was when you're the most exhausted you've ever been. I was like, oh, mm. I had no idea. But even for things like loss of libido <laughs> and vaginal atrophy and, you know, like all, all these things that I've experienced have 100% given me so much more, um, it's not just the insight, but it's also the the methodology or like the ways to actually help recover and mm. rehabilitate sexuality and intimacy. So, yeah, been there, done that, literally. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's been so insightful and yeah. it's, that, it's that thing isn't it you know everyone's like oh 
cancer's a gift. I'm like, well, pff, do you want it? But at the same time, yeah. you know, I the learning, the learning is just, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the growth mm-hmm. that comes from things like that. Yeah. And the, the book uh, for people who, who might want to know is A Better Normal, Your Guide to Rediscovering Intimacy After Cancer. Um, where is that? But that book's available. Where can people find the book? Oh, Amazon. Yeah, ebook or or hardcover yeah. paperback. Yeah. Tess, I'm, I'm, uh, I just wanted to sorry, I just wanted yeah. to follow up on that, Brian. Just on that, yeah, no like, on that, on the, on that idea because I, 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 I sat down and had these conversations with people on the podcast for three or four years, and then, uh, yeah, I guess like yeah, three or four years, and then I got hit by a car, and then I experienced like being on opioids and coming off of opioids, I experienced like legit rehab, not being able to, you know, use the lower half of my body for an extended period of time. And uh, not that I would wish that on anybody, but man, did it allow me to connect to people on this podcast in a way different way Mm. that, that, like you said, you, you know, you did, you did your work, you're good at it, but then that having that experience, I, I mean, it was a total like night and day. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. Tess, I wanted to ask about um, in terms of communicating in your relationship or relationships, how has that experience evolved uh, through going through your cancer journey? <laughs> I, um, I th- I've, I've touched on previously how communication was already something that I was quite skilled at through working in BDSM communities, you know, so talking about how you're doing, what your body's like in the moment, what you want, what you don't want, what you're comfortable with, you know, it's all a negotiation and then how that could work with the person that you're with and what you would like out of the experience and how can you care for each other afterwards. So, so I, I had a dialogue already as my um, primary carer and primary partner also works in the industry and is a counsellor. So we <laughs> we were we had uh, some uh, some advantages, I suppose. But it 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 was really hard um, during chemo. We actually had scheduled weekly relationship check ins, and we would answer the same three questions every single time. And I think uh, they were. I have. Um, brain fog from my treatment. So bear with me if I forget things, but, um, it was like, how are you doing in the, in this moment in your body? What's it like in your body? What do you, like, how do you feel this relationship is going with this person next to you? And what's your relationship to sex right now? And so we would answer, you know, just, just a light, morning conversation (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we would answer those three questions and you know we have a few rules like you never interrupt someone's answer 
um, every answer is perfect because it's about how you're feeling. You know, it was a really, it, it came from a place of respect and just like, I really want to know how you're doing. Um, but they were really hard conversations to have. And again, from the counsellor and also from the person who teaches communication and consent. So I, again, it was one of those things of like, wow, I'm used to talking about sex. I'm used to talking about bodies and really vulnerable states and setting like, you know, openly saying I'm struggling with this and I'm open to this. But again, it's like that, how challenging for other people. We, we're not mm. raised to talk about sex. Mm. We're not raised to talk about body function mm. changes and limitations. Um, so my, my communication has definitely evolved. Um, mm. I did start from a much better place because I already had training. So I guess like I, I keep going back to just how isolated people with cancer feel on this topic because mm. they don't think they can talk about it and they don't know who they can talk about it to because it's such a taboo topic, you know, can't talk mm -hmm. about sex. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's so valuable like highlighting the 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 fact that you scheduled time to talk about it and had a sort of like uh uh um like criteria or, or at least Boundaries a set of, set set of questions that yeah. you, would, you would talk about yeah. structure yeah um i i was i tried doing that with uh, my partner um we were doing it sort of every two weeks for a bit and at a time in our relationship where i think it w we really needed it and i found that even doing that for it was like three or four times that we were able to continue doing it for. We had a conversation earlier about, uh, about ADHD and it's, I'm thinking back on that now. I'm like, fuck, I sh we should definitely go back to doing that, but I'm really bad at, uh, following through with things. So now I'm thinking, okay, Maddie, if you're listening to this, uh, remind, do that remind again. Brian, great. please. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's like doing this podcast is scheduling time for it, mm. is, for having yeah. these types of conversations is so important because it's hard to just be like standing in the kitchen if you you're talking to your partner and you're like is now the right time like should we be doing it now um yeah you're always going to search for the moment that will never come exactly mm. yeah 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 uh, are you adhd are you yeah. i am too <laughs> yay <laughs> we're <High> everywhere five. <laughs> <laughs> high five um tess can you can you walk us through a little bit of the um of the like chronological story of of how your cancer was treated um it, 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 i mean even taking it back to the the moment that you f you thought perhaps this could be it was that a, did you did you get a mammogram is that what you is that what you did for is that where the woman rushed out uh it was an ultrasound where the okay. woman rushed out and okay. they didn't bother with the mammogram because there were so many cancers oh wow okay at so the, at the time <laughs> so when you when you go to see your gp and they basically tell you, you know, you, you, you're probably going to lose your breasts. Um, you might die soon. How rapid do they go into actually treating the cancer? Yeah, that's, that's an awesome question because um, being someone who works in hospitals, I got to see how quickly the system kicked into gear for me. And that was my alarm bell of how serious it was because I've, I've never seen clinicians bend over backwards and act so quickly and hurriedly. So mm. I had my diagnosis that night. So I went, I went to work <laughs> and then I went to the doctor and then, you know, um, got the news. And then at 8 a.m. the next morning, my GP rang me and said, uh, I booked you in for 
Peter Mack, which is a global cancer institute um, that I'm so fortunate to live in the same city of. And I've I've sent your um, test results and you have the leading professor of breast surgery in the country to see you. You're booked in in three days. And I was Whoa. like, oh, shit. Um, and, and I think because I'm young, you know, uh, cancer is apparently more aggressive if you're young. I'm also very skinny and that's also can contribute to cancer aggressiveness. Mm. Um, so within a month, like, of my of my diagnosis, I I had my first surgery. They had so they removed the cancerous mass from my right breast. I'd had I counted like forty tests in in like three weeks. It was insane. Like it was just I was just on a roller coaster, holding on to the the safety bar, just like, oh my God, what is happening? It was just, it was so much. And every test result would come back. And then my, my prognosis would change. Oh no, no, no. So we've just realized that those cancerous masses in your left breast, they're not cancer at all. So it's just your right breast. And like, oh, so I might live longer. And like, oh, actually, no, no, hang on. Sorry. This test result came back. We're not too sure. So it could be cancerous again. So maybe we're back to the original. Okay. So I'm going to die again. I'm going to live. I'm going to die. You know, so it was absolutely nuts. So I had, but they figured out so they took the largest cancer out of my right breast and then they and while I was under they tested everything else and it turned out it was just the one cancer so diagnosis one month I'd had my surgery within the next month I'd started 6 months of chemotherapy I had the red devil chemo yes yeah, um, i've heard of this fucking thing yeah yeah i no words there's just no words to describe that <laughs> Um, and then after that chemo for three months, I had a weekly paclitaxel chemo, which was different. Um, my oncologist called it the not so shit chemo and the AC was the really shit chemo. <laughs> I love my oncologist. Um, and after the six months of chemo, then I had a couple of months to recover. So then I had daily radiotherapy for five, like, for five weeks on my chest, my neck, and my armpit. So it's all focusing on my right side because they realised that the left breast had a lot of lumps in it, but they weren't cancerous. And then I had, oh, geez, okay. And then I had (laughs) surgery. So they removed my breast and then they, because I'm quite small, but they didn't want to use expanders or like put implants in me. Mm -hmm. They took tissue from my lower back and built my new fake breast out of my lower back fat. Whoa. And cool. Yeah, I didn't know I could and do that. It's very rare. And I think it's kind of, you know, <laughs> I was saying to them, like, they were so excited. You know, it was the first time that it had been done in that <laughs> hospital. So everyone was just like, you know, like I had people taking photos during the surgery. I got them to send it to me. It was disgusting and amazing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Um, but I call it the shark bite. My my surgery scar is so big on my lower back. It honestly looks like I've been hit by a great white. Um, Whoa. So my breast has no nipple. So it's just like, and they put where the nipple used to be is like a skin of tissue from my back where my birthmark used to be. So they're like, oh, no, the skin's a bit pink where that birthmark is. Let's use that where the nipple used to be. So it's like this little pink circle. How cool is that? (laughs) uh, I've I've met some people that have um, had a mastectomy and then what they do, they like, I thought this would be so interesting for the 
for the actual nipple itself, they would like like twist the skin and like sew it so that there's a little nub. Did they do that with yeah. did they do that with you? Um so I call it yeah, it's like origamiing a, a nipple with your <laughs> yeah. skin. Yeah. Um, no way. Yeah. Yeah, it's really and and they sent me the pamphlets. And it's just like two or three little incisions and then the skin goes up and then they tie it away. It's just so cool. That's cool. Uh, I'm on the list. But because of COVID, that's just been delayed by years. But, I mean, uh, I'm I'm used to it. I mean, all the other stuff that's wrong going on with my body, a missing nipple is hardly on my sure, mind. of course, yeah. But, yeah, so I, I had that surgery and then I had – and then because it, there were issues, so then I had another surgery and then I had another surgery. Um and I started endocrine therapy during those surgeries, um, and I'm supposed to try and get to five years of that. Is that is that because when? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, which is likely um, <laughs> that when when cancer spreads, when they say like cancer, the cancer has spread. They it, it spreads through the endocrine system. Is that is that correct? Lips. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. I was wondering if I, wa- I was wondering if the endocrine, uh, if the endocrine treatment was like, hey, this is a a thing to make sure that we just like clear all the ways in which like it, something could move around the body. So if it's in your lymph nodes, then it's right. Yeah. It's like the highway. So what yeah. is the what what is the what is the um the goal of the endocrine treatment? So I had six lymph nodes test positive for cancer, which is a lot. Um, so the concern is my cancer loves estrogen. It feeds, you know, that's its food source, so to speak. Um, so endocrine treatments, because I had six lymph nodes positive, you know, they're like, oh, there's potentially cancerous cells in your system somewhere that the chemo might not have killed. So the endocrine treatments, they sh- they it's like abdominal injection injections and also tablet daily. Um, it just closes off all estrogen receptors on my cells and it shut down my ovaries. So I was like thrown off the cliff into menopause. Mm. Uh, and so I, yeah, so it's more of, um, changing the way that my body responds. Like I can't absorb any estrogen in my body. So the pituitary gland in, in my brain's shut down and also my ovaries and the cell receptors. So no estrogen, no progesterone for me. And the, I, I thought, Oh, hormones, that'll be fine. That'll be easy. That's not a big deal. Oh man. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh, what, like what are the symptoms that you, I mean, obviously, you know, we've, we've covered, um, um, uh, Oh God! You just said the word, the thing that all all uh, older women go through. Menopause. Menopause. Thank Menopause. you. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we've talked about <laughs> I, I I feel like I'm, I have chemo brain. Um, uh, you, you, we've we've t- covered menopause before, but can you run us through like what that looked like for you? So I mean, not and maybe not just the menopause, but also are there other types of symptoms that go with the the endocrine treatments? Yeah, um, and also for people, say, if you have prostate cancer um, and you're on hormone treatments for that or even testicular cancer, the side effects are really similar. So it's like, you know, 
any anyone can go through menopausal like symptoms regardless of your gender, which is pretty interesting. Mm. Um, so there's I have bone pain um, because without estrogen, you know. So I'm going to have osteoporosis most likely when I'm older because uh, I don't have estrogen pumping through my body at the moment. So, you know, it's bone health. I have jaw and teeth pain, um, chronic fatigue. Uh, which thanks to being an OT, I have strategies and management techniques around that. Um, so pain fatigue, I have uh, vaginal atrophy. So my vagina is like a freaking cactus. Um, and to, to be able to have penetrative styled sex, I, you know, it's like I have to internally moisturize Every night I have to insert pills into my vagina. I have to go for daily walks to get blood flow. I have to self-pleasure to remind the tissues that they can get aroused. I have to use dilators because my vaginal canal is shrinking. Um, and just, I haven't ridden my bike in since diagnosis. Like I can't, yeah. some, some days I couldn't walk because the atrophy pain was so bad. Like it's actually quite debilitating oh, if it's not treated. What are, say, the, what are the um, pills? What are the pills that you, that you put up there? Oh yeah, so they're, they're in Australia. They're called pessaries. They might be called suppositories in mm-hmm. the states. Yeah. Um. So it's a microdose of estrogen, and it's oh, and the pill is whoa. designed to it sticks to the vaginal tissue, and it just locally releases just a tiny bit of estrogen, um, to help my tissues stop being so dry and thin and brittle. Whoa. And and because it's a microdose, you know, I could take. I could use one every single day of the year and over the entire year, it would still be less than me taking one of like the pills, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah. right. Wow. When, you, yeah. when you said so, that your vagina was like a cactus, did you mean prickly or like, or dry? <laughs> yeah, I've grown like prickles inside my <laughs> vagina. <laughs> no, <I'm> Whoa, <laughs> really? <laughs> Dante. Um, <laughs> to describe the pain, so how how I help people know if they likely have atrophy is if you're having sex and it's, you know, penetrative sex and you're using lubricants and it still feels like burning glass shards or paper cuts. So burning glass shards and paper cuts are the words generally used, Mm. um, even with lubricant. And so that's like, yeah, okay. So lubricant is, you know, something that makes two surfaces slippery. So to reduce friction, but um, you need moisturizers because your tissues are already damaged. So you need to recover. Just like you moisturize your hands, you've got to moisturize your vagina. So it, it's a very painful experience to have sex. Um, and then, of course, that increases the anxiety around having it. And then that in turn makes people mm. want it less because they're scared of it and partners are they see the pain on their partner's face and then they're petrified of touching and hurting their partner and yeah. then distance gets created. Like it's a whole cycle freaking mess. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And is that, is that something that, is it something that when you, when you complete the five year cycle of this treatment, like, will any of that subside and start to become as it was, or is this something that it creates this problem? And once it's created, it's, you live with it. So I'm I'm really lucky because I'm pre-menopausal. So when I stop treatments, my ovaries will come back online and I'll have the sweet, sweet glory of 
a human, normal human existence until I go through natural menopause or get cancer again. But, um, yeah, it depends on the stage of life that you're at. So uh, if you're postmenopausal, the side effects aren't, generally speaking, aren't as bad because people are already in menopause. Right. Um, but for apparently for younger folks like myself, it's, it's pretty hard, you know, um, it's like a shock to the system. I haven't even talked about the brain fog yet from endocrine treatments, which mm. is like having Alzheimer's, but, um, yeah, I, I will switch back on. We did a little test. I was at breaking point this year. Um, I nearly quit my treatments altogether. I just wasn't coping. I was on the floor of my apartment in like six lockdown, just bawling my eyes out. Like, I can't do this anymore. And I rang my oncologist and he's like, no, just take six weeks off. Just have a breather, have a, have a gap. Mm. And, you know, and like, and then after four weeks, I'd started to become <laughs> myself again which was amazing and also really sad. My mm. partner was like, wow, you're laughing again. You know, he's like, oh, this is so sad. And then I went back on them. So I do oh. know that my brain and my energy and libido will come back. Mm. Um, and in the meantime, I just have to keep working it, keeping it as active as I can. Yeah. It's all work. It's you, all mentioned, work. Uh, you mentioned lockdown. What was uh, going through all this stuff and then COVID <laughs> happening? What was, I mean, yeah. obviously everybody is, you know, everyone struggled in some way, shape or form. Not me. Jeremy's the unicorn out there. Um, I'm special. And uh, you know, <laughs> everybody struggled, but, you know, what was, what was it? Like, you're already in this, in this, you're already having these struggles because this was three years ago, right? That all, everything started. Yeah, yeah, it started three years ago. So you're going through treatments and all this stuff and dealing with, you know, post-surgery and endocrine treatment. And then COVID happens. Was that a was that a was that like a pile on to the shit that was already happening or or how did that affect things if at all? Uh a lot of the time I had a huge sense of relief. Um, it cancer and COVID lockdowns are quite compatible in the sense that I didn't have to keep trying to have enough energy to get to work. And I didn't have to keep feeling shit about myself because I couldn't see my friends. Um, everyone just kind of caught up to my, my world. It's like, ah, so everyone's depressed. Everyone's now a germaphobe. And we can't, we're frustrated because we can't do what we want to do. I'm like, welcome to cancer, bitches. Actually, it was kind of, um, (laughs) it was pretty nice, but then it caught up with me. And then the mental health stuff of just like, oh, wow, I actually really need nature and I need to go, I need to see people. I need, I need my community. I need purpose in life. Why am I here? What's my existence for? Blah, blah. Um, But lockdown was actually, you know, I, I created the online support group for people with cancer to talk about sexuality stuff. I wrote the book, got an online course. Like I did, I, I was very productive. My coping mechanism is productivity. Um, and that's my ADHD hyper-focus hole that I get mm. into. Um, so from a cancer and COVID lockdown sense, it was relieving to have to not have to try to live. Mm. Cause it's it, pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. In, in terms of uh, like when you first 
got your diagnosis test and and they said, you know, this this doesn't look great. Like this could this could be terminal cancer. Um and and I think this probably is something that anybody who's diagnosed with cancer probably thinks about um is is your mortality. Um how did how did your diagnosis if at all affect the way that you view your own mortality? I love answering this question. I've got the coolest story. So <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I think it was the day after I got my diagnosis and I went to work. I was sitting in my hospital office. It was dark outside. I could see like rain in the trees. I was on second story window facing the park. And I, and I sat down and I was looking at the window and I was like, okay, so I could die in three months, possibly like terminal. Terminal could mean three months. Terminal could mean two years. All right. Okay. Let's think about this. And then I just started thinking about all the really cool shit that I've done in my life. Mm. Um, and I was just like, wow, I have had the best life. Like, Mm. of course there's more stuff I want to do, but I, I've done so much. Like I've, you know, I've, I worked in a circus internationally for several years. I raised monkeys in the Guatemalan jungle, you know, like I've, I've lived in Holland for ages to meet my family. And, you know, like I've traveled the world of like hiked glaciers in South America, you know, like I've just, I've just done all these things, you know, Hey, I want to do this. Cool. I'm just going to go do it. Um, so that moment for me was like, wow, I've, I have, I've really lived my life. Like I'm, I'm happy with how I've done this. Mm. It's sad that I'm not going to be able to do all the other cool things that I want to do, you know, like hiking in Nepal and going to Iceland and all these things, you know, you may sense that I really like to travel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it it was, it was just one of those really beautiful moments where I was like, nah, I haven't wasted it. This is, this is okay. I haven't Mm. wasted it. That's really cool. I yeah, uh, I I would love to take a moment to to talk a little bit more generally about uh, the ways in which cancer affects uh, sexuality and sex for people, um, whether that be people with vulvas, people with penises, like whoever that may be, um, and in particular, th- like the ways that cancer affects sex. Uh, in, in ways that people might not really consider or not, or, or have not have really thought about. Um, I know that we've talked about the, uh, cactus vajutes, which that's, that's your term, not mine. Um, uh, <laughs> AKA cactus vagina. Um, but what about like, what about people with penises? How does, how can cancer affect someone's, um, someone's dick? Yeah. Um, dramatically sometimes and sometimes not at all it's it's a real mixed bag so the things that I get the most are libido um body image changes you know I've got scars I've got body parts missing I'm scared Mm. to get naked in front of people I've got no hair you know those things and then it's genital dysfunction so vaginal atrophy or changes in erection um and I think ED or erectile dysfunction, regardless of cancer, um, there is so much that you can do, you know, like the, the, the penis is just like, it's a, it's an amazing organ. You don't need to be hard to have an orgasm. You can totally have soft penis orgasms. I, I actually teach that. Um, 
I have a really weird job. <laughs> Just say that out loud. How do you teach? How do you teach that? It's uh, it's uh, it's called the helicopter method. So you stand <laughs> naked and you just you get the <laughs> and once you start to hear it, it's the frequency. Is it once when you hear it, it's a vibration. Then you know it's coming. And yeah, yeah. and do you actually so you do you come when you lift? Yeah, yeah. When, yeah. when you I when took you the course, took the course last week just to prep for this. When you uh, when you come, when you lift you off, off, when you lift <laughs> yeah, when you lift off, you know you're coming. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's well, I don't, like that, that uh, question answered. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us, Tess. Uh, that's it for this week, folks. There's really nothing like a good ah! dose of misinformation. <laughs> um, so I have, I have like penis models, like soft and hard penis models mm. uh, that sit in my hand, and I teach. So there's a there's a resource called a touchy subject for people with erectile dysfunction, and so I run a workshop through uh, that company that's helping people rehabilitate penis sensation after surgeries to get blood flow back into the area. So it helps recover erection. Um, it in, increases pleasure pathways neurologically. It's all neuroplasticity stuff. Um, but it honestly, it's just the, the movements you could do on a hard penis. And there's so much more than just up and down and fast you know, like, so I teach people how to have a lot of variety with their touch and how to breathe and relax their muscles when you're trying to get hard and you're trying to orgasm and you get tense, that just blocks the blood flow. Mm -hmm. And that's all an interaction is, it's blood flow. So, um, you know, like through through being really attentive to your body and, and exploring all these different touch techniques and relaxing and just being in the pleasure, believe it or not, actually can rehabilitate erection. But if you are unable to get erect ever again, say if you have your, you know, prostatectomy, your prostate gland removed um, and the nerves are damaged, or if you have your penis removed, say from penis cancer, you can still have orgasms, you know, you can still, uh, if you don't have a prostate gland, you won't ejaculate, but you can still orgasm and you don't need to be hard, you know, so mm. there's, Pleasure is endless. And remember that sex is between our ears. It's not between our legs. And so through everything I do is neuroscience. And I teach people how to recover orgasms and how to have orgasms again or how to create new erogenous zones on their body if, say, they're, you know, they have numb parts. Um, and it's all just like it's just soft, intentional, give yourself time, remove the goal to get to the goal. You know, um, and especially with penises, I'm going to try so hard not to rant too much about Viagra, but it's it's not it's not a magical pill. It mm -hmm. it doesn't work all the time because it, Viagra is a pill that gets blood flow to an organ of the body. It's not a, a pill for libido. Libido is the wanting and desire, so they're very different things. Viagra is an arousal response creator. But if you're if you have anxiety, if you're really stressed, if you have other things going on in your body, it's not going to work. But you have other options. You know, you've got um, you have vacuum devices. You have physical rehabilitation. You have soft penis pleasure and neuroplastic techniques, such as what I teach. You have injections and vacuum devices. You know, there's there's a lot of options out there. But mm. the the thing that people struggle with is sex becomes something that you have to kind of plan around rather than just being something that just happens and is spontaneous. So mm -hmm. I hear that I really miss the spontaneity of sex, um, you know, and I was speaking with a couple 
and he uses uh, a vacuum device to get an erection because he had his prostate gland removed. And so he, he'll get the room ready and then he'll use the pump and then he'll call his wife in and then, and then they'll have sex. So it's, you know, it's like, it it can't just magically happen. You know, you Mm. have to kind of prepare for that. And so that's, that's loss, you know, that's grief. That's loss of a type of sex that you were having. Mm. So it's pretty sad, Mm -hmm. but it's not the end, you know, it's just different sex. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've only thought about this just now and you saying that, but like part of me wonders if the feelings that we have around the idea of like, like, scheduled sex versus spontaneous spontaneous sex comes from the the taboo that sex is you know like because like I, I you were saying that and I was going it's funny that I get that I understand that like I would feel the same way but it's funny that like I don't feel the same way about a spontaneous trip to the beach versus a planned trip to the beach like both of those trips to the beach are fucking awesome. I love going to the beach. And if it's if it's like we just someone springs it on me and we're going, that's really fun and yeah. that's really enjoyable and pleasurable, but also it's really nice to plan it and have all the things that I want there and it's make taboo. sure that it's it's the taboo but also and also just like conditioning like there's a, there's a social conditioning aspect to it as well that like you know, if you're if you're if you're watching a movie or a drama or a show or anything like they're never planning sex. Mm-hmm. It's yes. always, it's always exactly. Like, and, and so, and so, it, the, the, I mean, I again, I get, I understand the loss, the grief of that. Because I felt that way when Kyle and I were trying to get pre- pregnant. Like we right. were, like we were having sex on a. There was a very Regimented set schedule. schedule. Yeah, and it and 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 sometimes you know we would be having sex every day for like you know between like eight and twelve days, and and by the end of that run you're, you're fucking while it doing was, email like you're was, just you're, yeah, che- you're checking twitter it was, <laughs> it was it was tough and i really yeah. resonated with that test when yeah. you said like you know if you're if you're if you're like thinking of like if you're trying to make it happen then that's like getting in the way mm. of it happening yeah and like it was specifically like in the last like if we did a 10-day stretch like the last two or three days like it was I, hard i was like i was like fuck dude i can tell it's mental yeah, that it's mm-hmm. that it's that it's it's taking longer, yeah. and that I have to, and that I have to, yeah, I have to think really hard about mm-hmm. it, and I can tell that that's the more that you think about way. it, the worse that that sort of totally makes it too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sex and I guess between I, our ears, yeah. our legs. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I guess brain. I don't, I don't think about going to the beach that hard when I'm going <laughs> to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> beach, beach. Beach, just get to the beach. Oh, get to the beach. Gotta get to the beach. Gotta get to the beach. I'm coming to the beach. The more I'm, I th- I'm coming <laughs> to the beach. The more I think, the more traffic there is on the road. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. I, I do want to quickly say, though, um, you know, like I, I organize touch dates with mm. um, a partner because if I had my way, I, I, I would just. I would just be isolating still, you know what mm-hmm, I mean? So I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I need to, I need to connect with myself. I need to connect <laughs> with my body and the people around me. So I call it intentional sex. You know, mm. it's like, I'm, I'm really wanting to connect with you on an intimate way. Um, let's set up a date, you know, where we're well slept, we've got energy and we, we're going to give each other the time to have a really connective experience, which usually just means we play the two minute game. Cause that's, the best game in the universe. Um, 
but it's a way to, you know, it's, it's really sweet, you know, it's really like, oh, you really want to connect with me and you want to focus mm. on me. And this is so lovely. And so I like to call it intentional sex. What's you know? the two minute yeah. game? Is that an Australian thing? Uh, it's, it's a somatic sexology thing slash, okay. um, the, the company, the kinky company I work for curious creatures. Like it's, I learned it from there from Roger Butler that created that space. But the three minute game was also created by a somatic sexologist. So what you do is you get a timer on your phone for two minutes and you say to the person that you're with, what would you like for two minutes? And then you say whatever it is that you would like, and then you do the thing. And then the timer goes off and you stop. And then it's the next person's turn to ask for something. So it could be like, I want you to show me how your week was through interpretive dance for two minutes. Or (laughs) I want you to kiss my face for two minutes and tell me why you love me. I want you to slowly scratch my back once over two minutes. I want you to breathe like or just brush your lips ever so gently for two minutes over my genitals, just touching them. Oh, my God, young. I'm giving myself ideas, um, yeah. you know, like massage my feet for two minutes, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. kind of thing. And it's for people like me who are on treatments and have an arousal response that's very delayed. It takes me a while to get into things. Like, so people think they have lib- no libido, but what's actually happening is that they just want the sex and enjoy the sex and have those lusty feelings once you've gotten started. Right. So there's a big difference between not wanting sex at all versus taking a while to want it. Mm. Um, so the two-minute game is that thing of like, I don't really know what I want. So you just do this and then all of a sudden your body and your mind are like, I'm relaxed, I'm enjoying this, okay, let's let's go. Yeah. Um, so it's just a bunch of fun really. I, I love structure. I just need yeah. structure for everything. <laughs> I love that. I think that's really great. I'm going to uh, definitely steal that and use that probably this week. The There's an article game. on how to play it on my website if you want to. If you want detailed instructions. <laughs> well, with with that said, then, uh, what is your website, and and how can people find uh, you know all of your resources and the things that you do? Ah, oh, thanks. Um, so my website is Connectable Therapies, and that's my uh, site to access anything. So my sexuality practice for people with disability, <laughs> but also with cancer, and through that you can find anything and everything. I have a YouTube channel, which is called The Intimacy OT, and that's just really short videos addressing the common concerns people have with cancer treatments and sexuality because sometimes reading is a bit difficult. I also have uh, articles on my website, connectabletherapies.com. My support group, my Facebook support group, is also called The Intimacy OT for anyone impacted by cancer. It's like thousands of people all over the world, any cancer, any gender, Partners are welcome. It's just, you know, for anyone and everyone who needs help. And my book is on Amazon called A Better Normal, Your Guide to Rediscovering Intimacy After Cancer. Amazing. Uh, Tess, before we wrap things up, I want to ask you uh, the one question that we ask most of our guests. Um, It's a two-parter. So what would you say is the biggest thing that your experience with cancer has taken away from you? I immediately wanted to say my independence, but that's actually not true. I'm completely independent still. Um, I'm struggling to find the word. Cancer has taken away, I feel like, my ability to live. Um, I can't do anything that I want to do 
I'm barely getting through the days of doing the things that I have to do. You know, there's no mm. pleasure around. Everything is work. Um, very uneloquently answered, but I think, yeah, cancer's taken away the leisurely part of living for me. Mm. It's all just coping. I'm in coping mode right now. What has it given you? <sighs> I love this. <laughs> uh, it has given me so much appreciation for life and well-being. Cancer has given me purpose. I thanks to cancer, I I am receiving daily emails from people about how I'm changing their lives and helping save their relationships. And it's means the world to me. Um Cancer has given me insight into how I work, like how my brain works and how my body works. Like I, thanks to cancer, I got diagnosed with ADHD and a bit of little dash of autism on the side, um, which has just been great. You know, I'm like, oh, that's how I work. Okay, I get it now. Mm. I'm not a freak. I just have this. <laughs> and uh, it's also given me... Uh, the uh, permission to slow down, <laughs> just slow down. Yeah. Tess, How was that is, answer? I, I, I mean, <laughs> top tier, truly, top truly top, top tier. tier. We don't rank them, but top tier. But top tier, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's not S-tier. a competition, but it's always a competition. But not <laughs> a competition, but you, you did just win. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I, was, I just started reading uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the memoir about the guy who started uh, Nike and it starts off with him saying I realized that I didn't I, I didn't have the desire to always win I just had the desire to not lose and that's oh, test that's, that's your that's your answer you maybe you if there was a ranking maybe one we don't know yeah. but you definitely didn't lose that's right and that's what's yeah, most important cool. uh, this <laughs> yep. has been such a treat Tess thank you so much for taking time to sit down and chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. All right, folks, there you have it. What a fascinating conversation. And uh, God, just love, love those charming Aussies. Would love to get more Aussies on the show. Um, So if you're an Aussie or New Zealander, what do they call them, Kiwis? Aussies or Kiwis, we love you. We want you on the show. Um, And if you'd like to be on the show like Tess, you can go to sickboy.com slash contact. Nope, sickboypodcast.com slash contact. And uh, and if you you want to send us um, a comment or or anything like that, you can go to letters at sickboypodcast.com and send us an email. Um, This has been really fun, folks. Thanks for your support. If you want to continue supporting the podcast, you can leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or hit follow on the Spotify button. Or, of course, every Friday we're coming at you with our Feel Good Friday episodes on YouTube where you can subscribe. And, of course, if you've done that, then you might as well hit the bell icon so you know every time we put up a video. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. Sound design is coming at you from our homeboy over on Prince Edward Island, Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. 
Thank you to Take Part for the theme music. And that is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.